0: It's Golden Hour Adventure Time, featuring everyday people doing extraordinary things. From the peaks of victory to the valleys of defeat, these are their stories. Now, from the back of the pack, your hosts, Justin and Robbie. Hey, welcome to Golden Hour Adventures. Uh, Today we have a really cool guest, but before we get into that, uh, we got to do a little bit of sales pitching. Isn't that right, Robbie? That's right. (laughs) I'll let you do the pitch today. I did it last time. Go for it. I don't know what to say. Uh, if
1: you like us, or if you got anything to say, give us a review. We're open to suggestions. Uh, tell us what you would like to hear. We're always open to hear what our listeners want to hear. Uh, we're trying to grow this podcast, so share it with your family and friends. And yeah, that's about it.
0: Sweet. I like Leave it. Leave us
1: I- on wherever you listen to your podcasts at yeah. Apple,
0: Google. Uh, yeah, we're on all platforms, so Spotify, Apple, Google leave us a rating too rating and a review we would appreciate it and then and uh, download download them get golden hour adventures on instagram if you want to see who the next guest is coming out we drop every monday at 6am mountain time so well hey uh speaking of listeners telling us who they want to hear we actually had a listener reach out to us and say hey you need to interview my buddy he's a straight badass get him on your podcast <laughs> so Push come to shove. We made it happen. And so today's guest is Chad Chaz Cavanock. Welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, how are you guys? Doing well. Doing well. So uh thanks for joining us. So yeah, it's where, my pleasure. Where are you at it's right nice. now? Where where are we where are we calling you?
2: I'm in uh, I'm in Del Rio, Texas, uh mm. South Texas. Um in the you know, honestly, in the uh in some might call it the middle of nowhere. I call it a runner's paradise. You can't oh, yeah. get better than this, you know? Yeah.
0: Do we, do you, hundreds of, of miles of there? running.
2: Uh, there's, there's trails out here, but mainly, you know, it's just open road. Uh, there's a couple of highways, but the rest is just like really good country roads. Very very little traffic and uh, I got some roller hills, you know? So <clears throat> the uh, Del Rio has been really good for the, for the training environment.
0: Nice, nice. And if
2: you and if you like heat, if you like heat, I mean, it's like 110 in the summertime. So, oh my uh, gosh, good, good heat trading here too.
0: <laughs> well, uh, what, what what brought you to Del Rio, Texas? Kind of seems like a random place to just to be.
2: <laughs> well, uh, some somehow somebody thought that it would be intelligent to uh, to uh, invite me to be a instructor pilot for, I guess. Uh, for undergraduate pilot training for the Air Force. So I'm here to inspire and invigorate the youth and the, uh, the future warfighters of America. So here I am trying to get some miles in and uh, flying airplanes for, for youngsters.
0: Nice. What, what aircraft are there?
2: Well, I do the T-6, which is the primary platform. The, uh, all the new guys go through T-6 training initially, and then they branch off. They either go T-1, which is the beach 400, or a t38 which is a fighter track and uh and then go on from there so I'm here teaching the young guys the uh, the initial phase of pilot training and uh and hopefully get them to wherever they want to go you know make them
0: make them the best they can be nice so once they get out of the uh once they graduate college and you know go through <laughs> the initial um boot camp do they is they do they immediately come to you as their school prior to you or they go,
2: there's a, it's a phase, it's a process, right? So initially they go through a, uh, a program in Pueblo, Colorado. Pueblo has like a 25 to 30 hour program. They teach them in, I think it's like a little, uh, like a, it's like a Cessna, it's called a DA20, but like a small, uh, lightweight aircraft. They get the feel of flying, get the, uh, the basic fundamentals down, and then they come back to Laughlin or the other UPT bases. They do about man, they must do like 100 hours of academic training with um, some civilian guys and a few military guys, get the academics down. And then once they finish that, then they they come onto the flight line, the flight line, then they start flying T-6s. And it's about a five to six month process for that.
0: Wow. So they've been in the Air Force for, well, you know, a year or so before they even really get in behind the flights of what, you know, your planes.
2: Yeah, I'd say you know six six to twelve months they've been in the Air Force. Um, usually second lieutenants to first lieutenants, ish, give or take, and um, and and then they get to the T six and start uh, learning the basics of Air Force fundamental flying.
0: Nice. What made you want to become a pilot?
1: Uh
2: well, being a oh, man—that's a good question. Uh, being a pilot, <laughs> <laughs> you know, my the the easy answer is my dad was a pilot, right? okay, so my dad, my dad was a civilian pilot, uh, and so, since I was just a kid, you know, before I even remember thinking, uh, I loved the idea of, of airplanes. Airplanes are just cool, right? And I guess it in a lot of ways, it looked like like a rock star job, you know, where it's not really like a real job. It's just you go out and fly airplanes, and that's cool. and so um that was part of it. The other part of it was it was it was kind of an avenue for adventure, so you know flying airplanes gets to take you anywhere around the world so you got this, this rock star lifestyle with the, the opportunity to go seek adventure which that's awesome and then um you know it's going to sound kind of corny but when i was i remember it uh being four years old and and this movie iron eagle came on uh and the vhs tape <laughs> and there, were this, uh, there was this uh there's this I don't know, just some F-16s, that came across the screen, right? And it was really cool music. And uh, and uh, there I was watching these F-16s fly across the TV screen. And I remember thinking, that's, that's, that's just cool. And then, you know, later on in the movie, they blew stuff up and whatever. And that was cool. So I guess from that moment on, I, I decided that I wanted to be, uh, be a military pilot. And that's kind of what I dedicated my life to, um, trying to become a pilot in the Air Force or in the military. And... Uh, the Air Force is what happened after that.
0: Awesome. How long have you been in?
2: Uh twenty uh over twenty years now, actually. Uh, wow. so I joined I joined in two thousand one. Actually joined August of two thousand one is when I signed the papers to go in the Air Force and um and I signed up to be an enlisted guy because I kinda long story short, man, I didn't I didn't get any I didn't get in the academy or make a commissioning opportunity right out of high school. Um, so, <clears throat> so I found another avenue and it was to join the Air Force, be an enlisted guy, and then find an avenue from being enlisted to go and get commissioned to be a pilot. So I joined in August of 2001 to be a, just to be a mechanic, you know, uh, work in airplanes and be around airplanes. And then from that point on, uh, you know, one thing led to another and ended up going to the Air Force Academy. Went to the Air Force Academy, graduated, got to UPT,
0: did the pilot training thing, became a pilot, and all that. So that's kind of the process. Nice, nice. Uh, at what what uh, what all planes have you flown?
2: <laughs> uh,
0: so I did the T six thing, just like everybody else, back in
2: two thousand eleven. Um, then I went to the I did the T one Beechcraft four hundred in in two thousand twelve, and then. After that, I finished pilot training, ended up flying the U 28, which is a, uh, a civilian version. It's a, it's a civilian aircraft, military variant, uh, PC 12, PLATUS, that we use for reconnaissance and surveillance um, against the war on terror for the most part, mostly Middle East, Africa type of work. And then in 2021, uh, I transitioned to, um, to learn how to fly the T 6 again. And be an instructor pilot in t6 and came back to uh laughlin so i've been in laughlin for about six months now and just and teaching the students how to fly airplanes and be uh lethal warriors
0: nice nice that that actually sounds pretty cool i was i was an instructor at one point uh for a couple of years and i actually really enjoyed doing it. it was a lot of fun it wasn't anything as exciting as uh you know flying fighter pilot or fighter fighter back anything uh fighter planes but it was uh you know it was it was it was cool in its own sense i guess
2: (laughs) yeah there's no i mean teaching after a while you got to do something to invigorate your spirit again and i think teaching is probably a great way to give back i know that people always say that but giving back is is probably the greatest reward ever so in whatever capacity it doesn't matter what it is but if you have a skill set you should give it back and make the next generation better so
0: for sure for sure do you uh do you see yourself uh staying in for the long haul or do you is retirement shortly approaching or
2: so i'm gonna keep it going you know you know i'm gonna keep it going i don't know how long this is gonna keep going right but uh if they keep on letting me uh i guess mind warp the uh the young lethal warriors that I've got around me, that I'm gonna keep on mind warping the lethal warriors around me to go make some uh make some badasses is what I'm trying to do here.
0: Nice, you know? nice. I like it. I like it.
2: Let's we'll jump over and into then if your... I get a chance. Yeah, I was just gonna say if I get a chance to go and do something um, you know, back operationally again, if that opportunity presents itself, I'm gonna go back and uh I'll go back to be an operational pilot or maybe a leader. I don't know. We'll see
0: what happens. Sweet. Let's jump over into your uh, your running career. I've uh, I've looked you up. You've got a pretty impressive career there, and I see you have a, a Badwater flag behind you. But I didn't I didn't see Badwater in your thing. I don't know if they uh, they just didn't put that out or. So you you've ran Badwater. Uh,
2: yeah, that's funny. That's uh, really it's actually kind of funny. Uh, I totally forgot that I have this Badwater flag behind me. Uh, <laughs> it's just a
0: subtle flex behind uh, you. No. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's not often that I do uh do Zoom calls and have a video that shows my surroundings right. So, yeah. Um and the interesting thing about badwater is you sign up a different way. Um there's all kinds of different ways that you can get a person's record about ultra and I think there's probably like 3, maybe 4 different prominent sites out there that kind of compile a person's ultra record and all that stuff, right? Racing record. And uh be quite honest. I don't remember how Badwater does it. Um, Badwater does it one way, but I think it doesn't show up on my Ultra Sign Up, but it shows up somewhere else. And then, like the the traveler shows up one way, one place, and then some other things don't show up in other places. So, yeah, I usually um, look on yeah. uh,
0: Ultra Running Magazine. They do a pretty good um, spread on everyone. They take they usually take all the races that you know not ones that Ultra Sign Up don't have that Run Sign Up do. You know, they take all of them and yeah. and compile them that way, but. <laughs> Um, I didn't see Badwater on there, and then I saw your flag, and I was like, "Hmm, he's over there flexing on us with uh, with running Badwater." Uh, I should have been like, I should have kind of blocked that, you know. And maybe we could have got
2: maybe we could have got As he's also as or... he's
0: also wearing a race shirt, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm just, he's got his hat on backwards, but I'm only gonna assume it's a race hat too. <laughs> with the with the like, thing on the back says know. "Do epic shit." <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, you know, it's a funny thing, out. You know, if you don't, if you're not really like planning on becoming something, it kind of starts engulfing your life. If you're just like having a really good time doing whatever you're doing, it just starts starts to invade every aspect of your life. And I, I think that's kind of what Ultra Ultra has become in my life. Um, the majority of, I, I mean, they have such great shirts from Ultras, right? So they're super comfortable, and yeah, it's become my main wardrobe i think i even have pants from ultras and i have socks i have like whatever you know um, i I got a jacket last year
0: and i was like this is great!" like it's not like a cheap like sweatshirt no i got a jacket i was like that's super cool so so what got you into running
2: uh all right hey we could talk about we could get we could really dive into it we could we, we could really get into the psychology of how i got into running um or we could kind of Take the quick version. Um, it's whatever you guys, however you guys want to drive this fight. But yeah, um, let's do it.
0: Let's let's uh, dive in.
2: Yeah, it might, it might be the maybe it'll be the cooler part of it because I'm by no means any sort of superstar runner. Um, I'm no uh, yeah definitely no professional. I'm just a guy that likes to run and uh, likes to try my best, I guess. So yeah, um, I've been you know I'll, I'll preface it with I've been running and racing. I guess I've been racing ultra for going on twelve years um consistently uh, i started racing ultra in 2011 and um before that i i'd run a couple of marathons and maybe a couple of small races actually you know what i don't even think i ran any small races i think i ran like three marathons before i got into ultra and that was pretty much it Hmm. Um, before that i just um i just i just enjoyed running because it was a really peaceful activity and it was a way to to escape for me. And it was a way way to clear my mind and and really get, I guess, get ready for whatever else I had to go do in my life. Um, And so I'll back it up to the origins of my running career, probably start when I was in high school and uh, or finishing high school and I was not a runner in high school. But when I signed up for the military in 2001, Uh, I was, I played some sports and my recruiter said that I was going to have to run three miles in basic training. And so (laughs) when he said I had to run three miles in basic training, I figured by the time I get to about May or June, you know, before I went to basic training, I would, I, it would behoove me to probably try to run three miles. So I knew what three miles looked like. So in May, I ran, you know, May, I ran probably three miles. I don't know, ran some miles and it worked out and, um, and I, you know i found it to be really cathartic so i just um, i continued to run just basic running you know running around i grew up on a farm and so running the hills in north dakota was pretty easy and then um, when i got the basic training in in june uh it was pretty it was pretty evident that if you could run you didn't get yelled at so i just ran and ran well and ahead of the pack and so my tis were those uh the, the dudes that were out there they never yelled at me and i got like an hour of peace and quiet so that was awesome and then um when i went to the academy same thing you know you got if you could run pretty much you didn't get yelled at so it was a pretty simple equation and as, as i got better at running the i i guess the i found a niche and it provided some opportunities i was able to to make some friends and uh, and be a part of a couple of unique organizations because i could run and and then being a part of some unique organizations uh, through my in my life I opened up some doors to meet some really incredible people and um and for me i met i was i became friends with a guy his name was jack loyack and uh one day we were out running in Colorado Springs, and, and we had a, I don't know, we ran some miles, got done, and he's like, hey, I got to go, I got to go back and run some miles, I'm going to go get some food, and then i go back and run some miles this evening, and uh, get some night miles in, he said, and I was like, I said, what? Night miles? And he's like, yeah, you know, I got this thing, yeah, I'm doing it in a couple of weeks, uh, I got to, I'm going to run 100 miles, I'm going to go run this thing up in the mountains, I'm going to run a hundred miles. And then part of it's at night. So I, he's like, I probably should go run some night miles before I go do this thing. I was like, what? What are you talking about? And he's like, eh, I'm going to run this thing called Leadville. It's up in the mountains. You know, it's, it's not a big deal, he said. And uh, I didn't really ask any questions because so you don't really ask me questions of Jack Glowiac, So, uh, <laughs> But all I heard was a hundred miles in the mountains thinking, dang. So at that point I'd done i done two marathons. <clears throat> and so in my mind, instant, instantaneously, uh, in my mid twenties, I was doing the math and I'm thinking, Hey, eh, hundred miles, that's only like four marathons, you know? So I decided that <laughs> if I ever got the chance, if I ever got the chance, you know, time, time opened up and, uh, and gave me the chance to train for something like that. And, um, and I was able to I would go do it you know i was I was pretty stuck on this hundred mile thing, and um, so a couple of years later, with that still really embedded in my mind, uh, some life events happened to me, and my life opened up, and uh, some things outside of my control occurred, and I just had this this year long period of time where I had nothing really pressing in my life, and so I just started running, remembering that running was cathartic. I started running, and then, uh, um, I guess I made the op- made the decision to take that opportunity and use it. And I started training for a hundred miler, and that's kind of where the uh, the door opened for for ultra and running and competitive competitive distances. I guess.
0: Nice, nice. Well, I, I'm looking back at your your ultra sign up and your. Uh, Yeah, I got you opened up on like fifteen different tabs, Uh, (laughs) because your name is uh, different on Ultra Sign Up. You got two different ones, but I found them. I found you, and I see. uh, Yeah, you got some uh, some pretty impressive uh, resume here. You've run quite a few hundred milers. Looks like you opened up with the Keys Ultra in Florida. Yeah, that's right, the Keys 100. That's a tough one to go out and do. Well, when you're ignorant and uh,
2: you know, <laughs> when you're, when you're an ignorant, 20 uh, something uh, adrenaline junkie, you know, you don't really contemplate the difficulty of what you're about to go do or what it is that uh, is going to hurt. Cause pain doesn't exist when you're in that period of your life. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah I've heard nothing you but run, uh, heat and heat on that one.
1: Did you just jump into a hundred or did you run uh, ultra distance in training or anything?
2: Yeah. You know, I just jumped into a hundred. Uh, I
1: was, <laughs> that's, I think that's the first on our podcast. Yep.
2: Yeah. 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 So, um, like I said, when I met, you know, I've known Jack and Jack's like this, um, he's just a really distinct figure in my life at that point. And, um, when he, uh, when he said he was going to go run this hundred miler, you know, and that, that was the only thing he would ever run that was, the ultra distance um we just did what we wanted right and um if it made sense to do it and it was something that sparked our interest we just went out there and did it and um that's kind of how i felt about it i really didn't well i'm going to be honest with you i didn't know ultra was a sport i didn't know that there was like people that did it and i didn't know that people would do this consistently i i just thought there's probably like a couple I mean, a couple, maybe hundreds out there. I don't know. And uh, I thought people just did like a one and done hundred thing. I didn't know people were like winning them or competing in them or doing them over again. I just thought, how cool would it be to go run a hundred miles and then, you know, do that, I guess.
0: Then you caught the bug. (laughs)
2: Yeah, well, I caught it. I mean, I don't know if I caught it or it infected me because... (laughs) For me, I i mean, we, we can dive into the, the Keys 100 and the impact that it had on my life. But um, one, I was really glad to be done and really glad to finish. But uh, ultimately, when I when I woke up the next day, I was in a hotel all alone. And uh, I woke up and after a long, long time sleeping. I don't even remember. I just passed out with all my clothes on. I didn't change my clothes or nothing. I just passed out oh, no. in this hotel bed in Key Largo. And uh, I remember sleeping on the, just fell asleep on the top of the bed. And I remember it being all Sandy, right? Like I woke up and I was like, man, it's all Sandy. Like when my hair was Sandy and everything was just Sandy. And I can explain why later, why everything was Sandy. But um, I woke up and the first thing I remember was feeling that, feeling like I didn't do good enough. Right. And I just felt this really heavy weight on me not that i was disappointed i wasn't like angry or anything i just realized after getting some sleep that that wasn't my best day that wasn't my best performance and i wasn't i think i didn't do the best that i could ever do and um and so i was completely incapacitated and so my body was pretty broken so what i did was when i when i woke up i got in the little wheelie chair that was at that desk or whatever yeah. and i wheel, i literally wheeled myself out of that hotel room to a computer in the in the hotel lobby and uh and i looked up the next ultra and i just thought there's got to be a better way to do this right like i can't do this i can't leave this alone and my thought process was that I did really good up to 50 miles. Like I did really pretty good up to like 60 miles, 63 miles to be specific in the Keys 100. And then everything just fell apart. (laughs) So when I woke up, I thought, man, I must be like a 50 mile guy. That's gotta be it. I must be like a 50 mile guy. So I wheeled myself in that little wheelie chair out to the lobby of this hotel, went on their computer and I just looked up some ultras and I found this this race called Running with the Devil in Las Vegas. Six weeks later, and it was a 50 miler outside of Las Vegas that ran out and, out and back around Lake Mead. And so, man, I just signed up right there. I didn't even think about it. I was like, "We're gonna come back. It's gonna work out." So, I signed up for this race, Running with the Devil 50, and um and and then ran that race in July, and it went fine. But it didn't, it didn't really give me what I thought it would give me, you know, like the satisfaction that I was some sort of an ultra runner or something, or like I'd completed the mission. <clears throat> and so fast forward, um, I ended up starting pilot training and went through that year-long process of learning how to be a pilot, which didn't give me a lot of time to run, and no time to race, really. I, I didn't do a race in pilot training, but um, as I'm getting done with my pilot training, Experience. I, I started thinking about maybe one more hundred miler, right? Just, just try. And uh, I was going to have a little bit of time, just enough time to train. And so I started dabbling in what I would uh, like, maybe a maybe a hundred miler again. And that led me to uh, the, the Pinhoti 100, which is my second hundred miler. And um, I'm in the, I'm at work one day. I'm in the flight room, and I got my buddies around me. And there was a guy from Alabama, who was a good buddy of mine, and he's still. A, it's a great friend, and he's been a uh, crew chief for me a couple times. And uh, so I said, "Hey Nate, hey, you're from Alabama, right?" He's like, "Yeah." And I said, "Hey, have you ever heard of this place called Silicaga?" And he's like, "Yeah, I know where that is." I said, hey, "Yeah, is it kind of hilly or is it flat or <laughs> kind of what is it? What would you say that Silicaga kind of looks like?" And he said. Well, it looks a little bit like Alabama. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And he says, why, do you, Why what's up? And I said, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about maybe running a race out there and uh, maybe trying to, trying to race out there. He said, really? I'm in. Do you need help? And that's what, that, like, he didn't even think twice. He just said, really? I'm in. And so I said, uh, yeah, I can use a little help and uh it's a it's 100 miles out in alabama and uh we're just gonna run in alabama from like one point to another point kind of in the middle of the night and uh just go see how it goes he's like oh my god seriously i said yeah seriously let's go run this alabama thing and so nate he was all in so i got fired up and i got jazzed up so i started training and my and my only objective Literally, the only thing that quantified success for me in the Pinhody 100 was to, to have the physical ability to literally run across the finish line. Zero else. I didn't care how that race went. I just did not want to drag my, my right leg down the finish line. That's it. I just did not want to drag, literally drag myself across the finish line. I wanted to run across the finish line. I didn't care how I did it. I didn't care what happened. I was like, I'm going to run across the finish line. And so that's how that second ultra came together, I guess. and um Ben Holding has a, a really
0: cool buckle. I like I don't know what it looked like back then, but i I, it's I think it's cool buckle. it's the same one with the with the turkey oh yeah yeah, that that's oh, super yeah. cool. It has the turkey feet on it i've always I've always thought that was a really neat, really neat buckle that might be my Alabama. Robbie and I have a thing where we're trying to run an ultra in every state, so uh. <laughs> You know, just an ultra. It could be a fifty k, whatever. A timed race. It doesn't have to be a hundred miler. But you know, I've kind of looked at some of the the bigger races in some of those states, and Pinholdies kind of came up quite a bit when I'm thinking. So, but yeah, that's that's a cool one. But sorry, to interrupt. I just I, I really like that buckle. A, a good friend of mine has uh, run that race, and he always flashes that buckle. So I think it's really cool.
2: Hey, I, I'm a I think it's I a great buckles. buckle.
0: I love them. I want a lot of. them. I want to Let's just be- them everywhere. Wait, hold on a I second. Got- Are you a uh I wear my buckles. I'm proud of my buckles or do they go in a drawer? Cuz I yeah, or shoe, um, yeah, shoe that's, that's that's a
2: great question. I didn't know I didn't know there's categories for this, but if well, is I a mean, we created this- these
0: categories, but <laughs>
2: <laughs> 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 Well, uh well my I guess my category is it goes in this Rubbermaid uh, container that somehow um housed my first buckle and uh has now housed a few few more um uh, category in my storage unit and uh i essentially uh i guess i i keep them with me for like a week or so maybe a couple of weeks and then because uh, usually i'm like so much is going on in my life i have a belt, have the belt buckle with me and then when i get back to my storage unit i just put it in the uh put it in the rubbermaid container with the rest of their their friends and kind of
0: move on, I guess. So you're a shoebox. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We just have sometimes talk yeah. to people and they're like, I don't really care about buckles or metals. You know, I'd usually just throw them away or give them away and I'm like, but why? <laughs> I don't know, I'll wear mine. So
2: Yeah. No, I definitely I definitely don't negate the importance of them, right? So they're very important to me. They they um there's a lot that goes into those belt buckles. And just because I put them in a in a Rubbermaid container in my, my storage, and it doesn't mean that I don't forget about them. And they're 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 like whole years of my life, so wrapped up in this one piece of metal. And uh, I don't have a lot of things in my life, um, and most things don't matter to me, um, but the things that, that I earn have significant meaning to me. And if, if I lost those belt buckles or a fire happened or whatever, and they melted into a big blob, it's not the end of the world, right? But um, sometimes I think about them to help, help me reflect on the experience or and, and really not necessarily the race experience, but the training experience that goes into that because there's a lot that you give up to be able to earn one of those belt buckles. And so that helps, helps me put it into perspective, the cost that comes with this sport, which is not light. And so I just try not to dwell on them, right? And I don't want to because there's something I'm always looking to try to unravel the next layer of the onion in my life. And so if I keep a belt buckle around too long, then I might get stagnant and I might I might not get enthusiastic about trying to figure out what the, or capitalizing on this one layer of the onion that I found. And then try to peel back the next layer and get a little yeah. deeper. So. Um, so, yeah, I just try not to dwell on anything, but. It, it doesn't negate the importance that they play in my life.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I totally get that. I, 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 that, you know, that's a great perspective of it. Um, I, I kind of do the same thing, but I'll look back on, you know, where I, I wear it every day. Well, every day that I, you know, wear civilian clothes, I guess, but <laughs> I don't wear it. But I don't know. It's, it, it's a talking piece to me. Uh, Sometimes, you know, I don't like wear it. I don't tuck my shirt in and like go around and flash it, but if it somehow comes out, you know, it's a talking piece because our sport is so small that you know some people have no idea about. Oh my gosh, you ran hundred miles, or like, no, I didn't really run. I walked a hundred miles, but <laughs> I crawled my way through mm-hmm. the mountains. But I don't know, it's a talking piece, and then you know, it's kind of a reminder to me in the same sense of what you said of all the work that I had to put in to to earn that. And so um I only have a couple, but you know, I wear the most recent one and. Then it just goes up on the shelf with the other. But yeah, uh, kind of cool. I don't know. It's just we just, one one of the things we asked some of our hundred milers that you know, are you a shoebox buckle wear or are shoebox or a buckle wear? But kind of funny. <laughs> so what was your? Well, I uh, think. What, go ahead.
1: Um, I, I like the perspective you put um, about peeling the layer of the onion. It's all about the journey. I mean, these races take you know, depending on the yeah. person. 24 to 48 hours, depending on the race, and then it's over. Mm-hmm. But like you said, it could take a year just to get to that point. Um, mm-hmm. So it's more about the journey than it is about the, well, for, you know, the buckle means something, but that journey means way more, in my opinion, than sometimes a piece of hardware does.
2: No, I, yeah, I agree 100%. Robbie, I think that if we got to understand why we do the things we do and um, it's not a bad thing to go in and seek merchandise, but uh, in this sport, if merchandise is what you're looking for, it's pretty hard to push past mile 86. Uh, merchandise pretty much goes out the door when you're climbing uh, power lines at Leadville in the middle of the night and it's pretty cold. You just come out of fish hatchery and you're pretty pretty messed up. Um, I can tell you that that's not what you're thinking about. So you better really understand what the heck you're up there for and, uh, and what what that inner drive is and, and, um, it doesn't really matter what it is, but it better, it would behoove you to have something deeper than a piece of merchandise. And then I think when you have that deeper passion behind whatever it is that you're doing, then that piece of merchandise really has a, has a deeper significance because it, it helps to cultivate all of that. And it, when you look at that belt buckle or that metal, you don't see the belt buckle or the metal and you don't, you, don't, you don't think to yourself like, oh, I'm better than anybody else or or I'm worse than anybody else, which is usually my case. You look at it and you say, man, that was worth it because I figured out what I was out there. I found what I was looking for and then I dug a little bit past it and now I'm interested in the next thing that I figured out, right? Like I, I opened something else up. Now I'm really, really curious to find out what that next thing is.
0: Yeah
1: yeah true i saw in uh 2015 you did uh western states vermont and leadville were you going for the grand slam yeah yeah you're, you're smart good catch <laughs> 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 yeah 2015
2: it's like a unicorn um man that was oh man that was one of the greatest summers uh greatest years of uh, my adult life um i was living on a i was living on a air mattress in my buddy's pseudo office in fort walden beach and uh just bumming space right um living living just the most vagabond life of all time i I was driving a 95 blazer no air conditioner around florida um I lived out of my car pretty much and I had all my gear in my car and uh, I just, you know, I did my job, which was aviating at the time. And, um, and then I ran and I ran and, uh, it was awesome. 2015 was, was kind of was just, just awesome and a, a miraculous year. And so, uh, when I came, I got into 2015, I started and so in 2014, I'd had a pretty good year of racing and I put my name in the hat for Western states just on a whim. I was I was and still never a guy that's driving for Western states and, and running races to try to get a qualifier, nothing like that, although it's a really cool race. But I put my my name in the hat just cause a buddy of mine was like, Hey, you should put your name in the hat for Western States. So I did. And then I got picked up for Western States. I found out at the end of the year in 2014. And uh, I started thinking about the Grand Slam in 2014 as well. And I thought, okay, well, it's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So, um, so I put my name in the hat for the other three races, the Leadville, Vermont, and then Wasatch. Um, and I got into Leadville. Then I got into Vermont and I got into WASAT. So I got in I got into the all four races for the Grand Slam and, uh, and I was super super stoked and my schedule worked perfectly pristinely for the for the uh, whole Grand Slam. I was going to I was on a deployment so I was I was deployed I left for a deployment in December of 2014 and I got back in April, the end of April in 2014 or 2015 and I was scheduled to go back out on a deployment in the end of September of 2015 until December or January of 15, 16, right? And so I'm like, all right, I can just uh, train and race all of 15, which would be awesome. Well, lo and behold, um, before I say this, I'll, I'll, say that, I'll say one other thing that's important. Um, I decided when I started getting interested in ultra and, and fascinated with the sport, I recognized how easily it can captivate you and potentially pull you away from other things that might be important in your life so uh, definitely going into 2014 i recognized that this was starting to become a thing and uh, a good friend of mine and i we made a made a deal that we create principles that that are like a hierarchy of decision making and for me um in that at that time i was I was getting to fly airplanes and uh, really living my dream as a kid, my, my childhood dream of flying airplanes and then get into war fight, which was pretty awesome as well. And so, uh, I made the decision that the number one principle in my life was to, to serve. So if like, you know, ultra can't get in the way of service and it can't get in the way of the mission, which is what I was tasked to do. So, if I got to fly, I I fly. If I aviate, I aviate. If I serve, I serve. That always comes first to the best of my ability. And so in April of 2015, as I'm getting ready to depart Afghanistan, and I've got my whole summer plan, and I'm like super stoked, and I've got the Grand Slam planned, the boss called us in, and and he says, hey guys, the deployment schedule changed, and because this rise of a threat in the Middle East right now, um, um, we're going to we're now set to do a four month reset and then we're going to go and deploy in August. So congratulations. We're, we're getting back in April and we're going to reset and then we'll be out the door in August again. And so with that being the case, you know, you get faced with this decision that you have to make. And uh, because I would set those principles out, I was going to aviate and I missed the loss. So I ran Leadville and two days later I was on the plane to Iraq and it was awesome. Wow. And wow. that's, that's why I missed, that's why I didn't get to finish the Grand Slam. Not saying that, you know, you never know, maybe I wasn't going to be able to finish Grand Slam. Who knows how Wasatch, I mean, I ran Wasatch in 2014, I think, right? And uh, Wasatch is no easy day. So who knows how that's going to go. But um, I was on a plane and I was in Iraq um, during the Wasatch 100 in September. So that's why the Grand Slam never happened, but it's still, still there in my, in my heart. So.
1: Well, I mean, at least in 2014, you got it done, so. You got watch that yeah. done, so. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. You got them all you know, done that, in a year.
2: Yeah, something like that. Um, you know, I learned that training for, uh, for one of the gnarliest mountain altars in the, uh, at least in the country, if not the world, is not simply done when you're training at sea level in Djibouti, Africa um i learned learn that that's pretty tough but
1: uh it's possible you can do anything you want i put in for the lottery for Wasatch 100 in 2014 but i didn't get in i had big well, plans you,
2: you, you <laughs> know what i don't know if you can consider that a blessing or a curse you know what i mean like it's all kind of uh, perspective i would say if there's a race that was like the most painful um agonizing period of my life that that one really took me took me down that was a that was one of the hardest things I've ever done in
0: my life actually wow but i've heard I've heard great things from the the race itself it's a beautiful race and it's you know well well organized i've actually and I've heard yeah. its hard but I've never heard someone describe it like that
2: <laughs> yeah i I would say you know sometimes it's all about how you plan it, how you put it together right and for me, I thought I had a little bit better odds. I thought I was gonna be a little faster than I was. That's one, one of the things, you know, tactical errors. And I ended up not putting the drop bag and a drop box in the right spot. And I was running the ridge line of, uh, man, somewhere around 60 miles. I was running the ridge line, uh, just howling wind nighttime. And I didn't have a jacket, long sleeves, no light, no nothing. I was just running up there blind, running into Brighton. So, um, that was pretty exciting. And I got into bright, and I was just freezing, you know. I got in there; I didn't even know how to get there. And when I got there, um, I really didn't want to leave, but figured I would just walk out there and see how it goes. Well,
0: looking on your uh, looking on your results page, <laughs> two two races keep popping up. It's the Arkansas Traveler and Rio Del Lago. Those seem to be uh, a favorite of yours, <laughs> and you fared well in uh, in one of them. Well, actually, you fared well in both of them, but. <laughs> uh looks like Arkansas Traveler in 21 and this this past year has uh has fared well for you. Yeah,
1: the,
2: well, the Arkansas Traveler is uh, that's my favorite race. Uh, not, you know, not because of course or anything, but those people in the Arkansas Traveler are, I would call them my other family. They are the nicest, most hospitable, um, genuine, sincere, kindest people that I've ever met in a, in a race before. And they welcome you back with such open arms and invite you. And so going there it invigorates my, my spirit and I just get so excited to see my friends, you know. And, um, and so going back to Arkansas Traveler is always such a joy. And seeing some people that have always really impressed me. There's people out there that, that I used to race against when I was first starting that kind of got me thinking about racing ultra and not just running ultra. And then now they're the guys that they're not really racing so much anymore, but they're out there cheering people on. And, and um, there's some, something to be said about that. So the Arkansas Traveler is, is just really, really homey. And that's that's why I keep going back to the traveler. The Rio del Lago, on the other hand, um, you know, I don't really have a specific reason why I keep going back necessarily, other than I would say that I have. I feel like I've never really conquered that course. There's, I've, I haven't really nailed it yet, and so I keep going back to try to try to hit it just the right way because it's deceptively difficult to really run a very fast race in that course and so if you don't go into it with just absolute perfection you're not going come to out, come out where you want to be and so yeah. I keep going back to the, uh, the Rio de Lago and, um, and I've thought that I've had it and, then it and then it slipped away a little bit and then sometimes I just said you know what enough enough I did the best I could and, and we'll settle with what we've got.
0: I like how humble you were when you were talking about, mm-hmm. about Arkansas Traveler as a back-to-back winner of the race. <laughs> that's uh That's, uh, that's a, that was a pretty humble uh recap of it, but tell us about winning it back-to-back years. Like has that has that brought on any uh sponsorship? Has that has people contacted you because of that or because I mean that's, you know, it's it's a Western States qualifying race. So it's, you know, it's big enough to have the eyes of at least, you know, some people, so.
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, I'll say this. I almost, I I almost can't get leave approved sometimes to go run ultras, so yeah. uh, it's, um, so I guess maybe, uh, you know, I don't put it out there. I, I just, I go to a run and I run, uh, I guess I run. So um, I've never had any opportunity for sponsorship or anything like that. Um, and and so I, I really enjoy running and I, re- I enjoy competing. So maybe with that, that um, that wholesome approach, it doesn't bring on, and you know, I'm running, I ran the Arkansas Traveler and it's not that it's not a great race or a big race, it's just not Western States or anything like that. So. And, you know, I'm, running, I'm not running like a 16 hour or 15 hour in Arkansas Traveler to really go, you know, dominate, some, uh, dominate against professionals or anything like that. So um, with, with that, you know, I just really find it to be the, just a blessing that I got to win. And, um, and that's really my, my best. That's just the best part about it is I got the opportunity to win. That's yeah so no sponsorship <laughs> to be quite honest
0: yeah uh, cool well i just didn't know if if maybe you know people started talking you know if you started getting random phone calls with uh you know like you know the phones now they recognize when companies call and you're like what is hoka calling me for
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> no you guys are the first people that ever ever actually paid attention to anything that i ever did and that's pretty cool so um i really i'm really honored that you guys asked me to be on the podcast and that's that's a real honor right there um beyond that i just talk you know if my friends ever want to know anything about ultra i'll talk about ultra otherwise um you know i just go and train really i just that's uh if it's really it but i can you know i can probably deep dive a little bit into the ultra ultra winning and um the traveler i can use that as an example um i you know i heard one of your one of your guests that you had on he talked about how winning is so difficult right so being the last place guy and the first place guy are so difficult and i'm going to echo that same sentiment it is it is the hardest thing in the world to win anything and it doesn't matter what the race is but winning is hard actually winning is probably the hardest thing that you'll ever do and there's a big difference between winning and coming close to winning so I'm always really appreciative of people that race and do their best. Um, But I wanna make no mistake that guys who win things, they they are a unique group of people. And because at any moment, a winner can lose it. And when you're ahead in a race, you are a target waiting to be taken down. And so winning, I found, was the hardest thing that I ever did. At, at least athletically and potentially maybe in anything that I've ever done because I had to be a hundred percent focused through the entire event and in ultra that's it's like uh three quarters of a day you know and you're going to make mistakes and you've got to manage those mistakes and and coming and rising above that is is pretty can be pretty difficult but um but when I When i won the first year the first year that i won the architect traveler i uh i was pretty pretty surprised that i won i um I i didn't expect to win and uh i didn't even know how i was racing and i was just running and when i got to the finish line i was just very relieved i was just so relieved that i'd that i'd been able to manage the entire day without falling apart because there were so many things that went wrong and so many ailments that I had that that I could I'm pretty blessed to be able to still run. And then fast forward to the next year, I didn't race a very good middle of the race. So yeah, I I raced a pretty good first third maybe, right? Even though I got past a mile 16 and um I thought I broke my ankle, no big deal. Um oh my gosh. And <laughs> and so I wasn't, you know, and I just ran Badwater in July, so I hadn't really been able to train as well as I wanted to to race the Traveler for a, a top spot and to, and to push hard. So I went into the Traveler, not exactly where I wanted to be, but I, can't, I just thought, well, we'll run the best race we can. And in the middle of the race, I just had to throttle back. I was just feeling, I was just kind of dogging it. And I thought, well, let's, let's throttle it back a little bit so we have some room to push at the end. If we got it, we'll go, right? And uh I got to the turnaround point, it's at like mile fifty-seven fifty-eight. And I turned around in the traveler and I was in fifth place. And uh and honestly, I was kind of okay with it because I did not I didn't feel great. And so I thought, okay, if I can just hold in fifth place, we'll just see how it goes. And um, you know, about five miles down the road, I started feeling a little bit better, right? But um, I got, I was getting towards the aid station. And um, I met a guy earlier that day that said, hey, if you make it to the Copperhead aid station, I got a, I got a beer waiting for you. And, <laughs> nice. and, and so, so I was like, I, was, I forgot about that dude until I started getting close to his aid station. And I remember that comment. And so I got back up there and I was, hey, hey, is Michael around here? And this guy, he finds me, he appears out of nowhere. He's like, yeah, I'm Michael. I was like, hey, I'm Chess." You told me that if I got to mile uh, or the copyright aid station, that you'd have a beer here. You still got any beers around here? He was like, are you serious? And I was like, yeah, I'm serious, dude. What kind of beers do you got? He's mentioned a couple of beers, and I chose the Bud Light, so I crushed this Bud Light, and (laughs) all of a sudden, I'm not going to lie, I felt like every bit of me was rejuvenated. And all of a sudden I went into war mode and I'm like, it is game time.
0: What mile And I just started at?
2: running. I think that's at like mile 60, probably, if okay. I remember correctly, man, Chrissy Ferguson and, uh, and, uh, and the team is going to probably be frustrated that I might've gotten that wrong, but somewhere <laughs> in the mid, in the low sixties, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I hit that beer. Right. And I just started running and, um, and you know, I kind of have a secret to success. I like to run the uphills, right? So if I can and I wanna and I usually wanna just dominate uphills to the best of my ability and try to get my my get ahead on the uphills. So I started running some uphills, changed the pacing a little bit. And um, got myself back in a second place. As I came into the power lines aid station at mile sixty seven, and there was my my beautiful girlfriend, and she was up there and waiting for me. And uh, she looked at me and she gave me this look, and uh, she's just so excited to see me, and I'm so excited to see her. And I got this really big rush of endorphins, right? And we got to my little camp there that she'd set up, and I took an avocado, ate an avocado, um, took some sort of electrolyte, I don't know, and and um, got myself ready to go. And my buddy. PT Turner comes up to me. who's running the aid station. And he says, Hey, Chas, no pressure or anything, but the number one guy's in the tent right now and he is not looking good. I said, really? He's like, don't rush out Chaz, but if you're interested, the win is yours. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm interested, man. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> so I, uh, I just made sure I got myself ready to go because I knew that with 33 miles left, if I was going to take take the win, I was going to have to be ready there. I had plenty of time to get the right pacing down, but I didn't have any more time left in the rest of the race to really get nutrients or get fixed up, anything like that. So I took my time there to get fixed up, anything that I had going on, get some good nutrients, get some good electrolytes, and then be ready to go. And so that's what I did. I took about 10 minutes at that aid station and, uh, took care of everything. And in that 10 minutes, the, the leader, he'd left and he gotten down the road, probably like a half mile. And when I took off out of that aid station, I thought he was going to be gone, man. So I thought I was going to take miles to, to find him, but I found him a half mile down the road and, and I looked at him and I, you know, we just talked for a little while and, and I was I actually felt really, really bad because he was a great racer and, um, and he did a really nice job that day. But I could, I you know, I recognized that he was in a bad, bad place, and bad shape, and I just told him, hey, if you need anything, just ask ask uh, Christy, and she'll take care of you. Find her; she's got my name on her hat. So you know, find Christy; she's uh, she'll take care of take anything you need, man, and we'll keep this race going. And then I just took off and ran like hell. So um, I ran like hell until we had 15 miles left. as a name station at 15 miles out, and I thought I had in the bag. You know, you get a little bit uh sometimes you get a little bit um confident and uh as i'm at the aid station there with 15 miles to go i heard the crew crew chief of the aid station say runners coming in and all of a sudden oh my god i had a sinking sinking feeling in my heart and uh i told christy i was like i gotta go and so i finished putting (laughs) the batteries in my headlamp and i know kidding ran ran eight something miles until i finished that that race because uh I just, just was so afraid of losing it. And, um, when I crossed that finish line, I'd never felt such a euphoria of joy, um, in my life before, but it was not an easy day.
0: Yeah. Looks like you, I mean, it sounds like you just absolutely had to throw down, but you know, it was something you'll remember, obviously as you're recapping it, you know, almost mile for mile, it's, it's something that you'll remember for the rest of your life.
2: Well, yeah, you remember, you remember that. But those, you know, that um, that determination, in, at least in my life, that determination to, to drive forward is fueled by the moments where I fell short. I have never felt such haunting pain in my entire life from moments where I either fell short or wasn't given an opportunity or made a mistake. Right, and uh, I live in those moments where uh, I am haunted by my mistakes what <clears throat> for whatever it is, whether it be racing or life. And, uh, I, I, uh, I know that when it's your moment, it's your moment every once in a while, it comes very rarely and those are gifts. So when it feels good, it probably is good. So go and seize the moment. Don't, don't take it for granted. Just run, just run so hard. And, um, you know, a lot of people are like, I was asking, well, what kind of pace do you run in a hundred miles? You know, what kind of pace do you run? Well, I've come up with this, the best answer I could come up with was, well, when you feel like you got to walk, you just walk. If you feel like you got to stop, you just stop. If you feel like you got to crawl, it's okay to crawl. <laughs> but if you can run, man, you run like hell. Like you've never ran before and just keep running until you have to change the pace. And yep. that is how you pace in a, a hundred mile ultra.
0: I would, I would like those... probably ten minutes. <laughs> and then I'd go into the walk and crawl phase.
1: <laughs> yeah, you
0: were, talk-
1: you were talking about those, uh, the times that have been hard. Do those replay in your mind when you're running these hundred milers? Do those give you motivation oh. to keep pushing on?
2: Uh, yeah, those, uh, those replay in my life pretty much every day of everything I do. Man, I could be flying an airplane and uh, in those moments will replay my life. And, um, and I realize that today is a gift that I need to live up to. So constantly, constantly, I'll go into an ultra thinking about those moments and how what I learned from them and how I you know how I can use them. And they fuel, fuel most everything in my life. They drive me.
1: So you just take this as learning lessons you're not you're not harping on them on yourself saying oh i'm bad or whatever but you mm. use a no no i you got to be very
2: careful not to not to make you not to make yourself feel bad right like they happen mistakes happen and you can't you can't be upset about that and if mistakes happen that's one thing but if you just if you just stopped going or you just kind of um you didn't believe in yourself that's a whole different story right um so i just try to always believe in myself and every time i go out there believe the best the best is going to happen today and if i put my best foot forward and i and i trained as hard as i could or as best i could not necessarily as hard as i could because you can't always train as hard as you want but to put your best training forward yeah that's about that's about all you can do and so uh, when i'm even training i mean honestly like every day that i train that's what i'm thinking about i'm thinking okay you know i got to train the best that i can today whatever that is man it might be six miles it might be three miles it might be a 20 miler it doesn't matter as long as it's the best that i can put out today i try to put my best foot forward because i don't want to get to the race and then realize that i could have given a little bit more um and then i didn't because what if it's my day you know and and what i realized was wins you don't you can't ever predict a win mean, i had this race i ran this race up in colorado in 2019 in april of 2019 and i thought for sure i was going to crush this thing i was like man i'm going to be the there's no way that i'm not going to be the winner today i was going to break the course record i was actually going to break my friend's course record because he created the race and i was like i'm going to beat him i'm going to i'm going to crush that record and i'm going to win this race and it's going to be awesome and then lo and behold that day yeah i broke the course record and i definitely kicked his butt except for two other dudes showed up that day that beat me. And, um, and you can't predict that. So you just never know when a win's going to happen. And I don't, I just don't want to miss a win or a good day. You, that was the Falcon 50 miler. Yeah, that was the Falcon 50.
1: Falcon 50. You, uh, ran the San Juan Solstice that's been on my bucket list for, I lived in Colorado for 12 years and that was always on my list, but you gotta, how'd you get into that one? Cause that one sold out oh. within minutes. <laughs>
2: i i think i'm just the luckiest guy in the world honestly uh man i remember when that whole san juan solstice thing started i was just uh i like to get up early i get up early and um or stay up late sometimes and um you know i think i got up early and i was drinking some coffee and i was just trying to figure out how i wanted to do my life that year or whatever and went on the internet and found this gnarly race and was like oh it's a lottery yeah i'll put my name in for that and that's all i did was i just literally at like five o'clock in the morning put my name in the lottery and a few weeks later got an email back that said i was gonna be in the san juan solstice and thought, well that's pretty great um and i just gotten back you know it was in june right i think and i just i was on a deployment from february until the end of may or beginning of june or something like that in freaking africa so Training for the San Juan Solstice with like 20,000 feet of elevation gain was was pretty awesome. So I uh, trained in flat hot and no zero elevation. So the San Juan Solstice became a pretty painful event, but I'm going to put my name back in the lottery again this year. So see how it goes.
1: That's right. It, it did turn into a lottery. When I was looking into it, um, I mean, there'd be parties where you just stay up all night and within 10 minutes, it'd be sold out. I forgot the oh, yeah. lottery.
2: Yeah, so that's how I got into it. Just a lottery, luck of the draw.
1: Yeah. Nice. I want to go back to after you ran Leadville, you said two days later, you were on a plane going on deployment. H- how do you balance those two different, I want to say lifestyles. Cause I mean, ultra running can be a lifestyle could you give up so much during training how do you just flip the switch and go on deployment <laughs> mm. um
2: well mm. I'll, I'll. you know i wasn't legally supposed to go to this race in leadville for one thing um, <laughs> 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 so um you know i try not to make a big thing about everything uh, in life and so i uh, i feel like the less the fewer people i tell about things the more things i'm able to do for one thing and um and what i've found is that ultra has fed what i do in the uh, in the military and the military has in many ways fed what i do in ultra and so they They balance each other naturally because the work that I've been doing in the military up to this point has been austere and lonely and dirty and cold or hot or long, which is very similar to ultra. So the mindset that each have have to have balances each other and they feed off each other. So in terms of how I balance it mentally, that's, I, I think of them as, as equals, and they feed each other. Physically, I found that my uh, it, running has been the most simple sport that I can do wherever I go. So no matter where I go, all I need are a pair of shoes and a pair of Sophie shorts and, and some socks, maybe, and I'm pretty good to go. And so I can fit it in whenever I need to, or wherever I can in my professional life. And then I can get right back into whatever it is that I'm doing professionally. And so I, have the, I found a way to just train at opportune moments whenever there's a moment I can go and train, and then I can get right back into whatever it is that I'm doing. Um, and that's kind of on the small scale, but bigger, kind of more st- strategic planning, I guess, in my life. I try to, I know my schedule for the most part professionally, And I find races that work with my professional schedule. So I try to put the races into periods where I'm at home or I don't have anything that's big going on. And then I try to use those races uh, or, you know, use my professional low periods to have ultra high periods. And then just kind of have this ebb and flow. So you've kind of got this sign, counter, sign wave thing going on all the time. Um, And then in regards to training, it's been really easy, you know, I have not always got the best, you know, the most ideal terrain to train on, but you know, while I've been on deployments, you can always run. So I've always found a way to run and I can always get miles in and, uh, and then the miles are a way for me to reduce my stress and just have a cathartic moment away from people. So while I'm on deployments, it's what kind of keeps me sane and uh, makes me a, a decent human to be around. So running miles gives me that time to go away, think and just relax. But also train for for ultra at the same time, and that's been my ticket to success, which is, I guess seemed to work for the for the most part.
1: Interesting. I I would just the highs after a hundred are super high, then knowing that you're going on deployment. Um. I guess just, like you said, they balance each other out. Were you excited to go on deployment after that hundred, or were you like? Uh, I'm just recovering, and I want to chill. Uh, well, uh, my, my
2: number one principle at that time was to go and, and fight. Um, and so I was I was definitely excited to go on the deployment. i was I was admittedly disappointed that I was not going to be able to compete in a lossatch for the Grand Slam. Um, so, I did have a little bit of internal struggle there, but, um, you know, I made the decision that that was the path that we were going to take, and so I found it to be just, I treated it like a little mini challenge, you know, like, okay, I'm going to go and run this 100-miler. I'm going to get on this airplane. I'm going to do this under the radar. Nobody's going to know. I'm just going to just going to leave on Friday after work and get on an airplane, go to Colorado, run 100 miles, get on an airplane on Sunday, be back Sunday night, get a subway, and then, uh, bag drag Monday, airplane Tuesday, Iraq Wednesday, bada bing bada boom, <laughs> I'll be flying in Iraq by Friday. So um, that's really how I treated it. And then uh, nobody even found out until like a week or two weeks, like maybe even a month into that deployment that I'd run three ultras that summer, you know? And it's like, <laughs> cool, you know? And, and uh, you know, in regards to that specific deployment, um, that was a once in a lifetime opportunity there was never going to be another gift like that. Right. So, you know, it was, uh, it was the beginning of, of the most, you know, I thought that I'd missed the war on terror, like every other, like a lot of kids. Right. You know, I'm not going to, you know, I'm just going to say it. Like I wanted to go fight. Right. Like, uh, I wanted to go get some bad guys. And, um, as I, Progressed in my military career, I thought at some point this whole war on terror thing was going to be over, and then um, I was going to miss the chance to go do something cool and use some skill sets. But then, in two thousand, end of two thousand fourteen, or whenever it was, this unique, uh, unique force in the middle of Iraq started to emerge called ISIS, and. And we were asked to go over there. And so I recognized that this was probably a once in a lifetime opportunity to go get to do this. And so it was not hard for me to choose that over going to run the Wasatch. So which paid off to be a big, a big blessing in my life.
1: I think that's, that's so awesome. Just how you carry yourself uh, with that mindset. Um, you know, a lot of people have the, the race blues after a hundred or after any distance that what's the next race, what's the next thing but you just keep feeling with whatever you got put in front of you and uh that uh i like that it's really cool
2: yeah i, I mean i i will physiologically i will i will say that i uh early on when i started racing hundreds the first couple i did have that low um something happened to me right i got um, i got you know i guess depressed or whatever it wasn't depression it was just um, I fell off a high, it was in so something physio- physiologically occurred that caused me to go into uh, a low state. and i did I just did not understand it initially. It took a few different races and some studying to understand what was going on. And so i've since then I've found a way to counteract that and um and and prevent that low, low from occurring. Um, but initially I did have these moments where it would just get really low and I'd get really lethargic and it was hard to recover. Um, but, but yeah, by 2015, and I mean, when you got, I mean, I was, I've just been blessed to be able to live my childhood dreams. And so when I was presented with the opportunity to go and actually do the thing that I always wanted to do, which was to go and eliminate humans that are bad. I thought well that's cool you know because we're the uh we're the only dudes getting to do it so let's go let's go do this right so hopping on a c17 and getting plunked off in the middle of the darkness to go and wreck havoc on some assholes that was pretty freaking awesome so (laughs) you know to get yourself out of some some ultra lows that's pretty much as high as it gets the minute you, you start getting into the low you're just you know you're just getting to deliver deliver hate and uh and nobody even knows it's kind of like ultra right Quiet professional and it's cool so um so yeah but i will say if i guess we you know we can i guess i'll i'll add to that by the time i got back from that deployment i think that things caught up to me and by you know i was i did get a little wrecked by the time i got back so in january february i was feeling some I was feeling the lows by that point, um, which I had to find a way to recover from.
1: I can only imagine it was like magnified because you just had a great running season, then you go and deploy Then you have a great deployment, you do what you want to do. Then you come back and it's what's next.
2: Yeah. It was pretty bleak. Yeah. Yeah. I was. I had no house i had uh I, I didn't have a place to live when i got back and uh i had a storage unit that had some stuff in it and um and it was cold and um rainy and uh yeah i was pretty unsure what i was doing next because i honestly and mistakenly did not really think beyond that uh, beyond the summer of 2015 that deployment I really didn't put any conscious thought into, okay, well, what do you do after that? Like, how do you live a normal life? So in a lot of ways, I just didn't. And then I did another deployment. I left in another deployment that time in May and uh, just did it again, right? And so you just keep on going. And um, I remember when I finally got back from that one, there were some I'd say some exacerbated lows and then, yeah, I ran two more ultras when I got back from that. And, uh, then, then, uh, life continued, I guess. You try to mask it with ultra maybe. Yeah. I think that a lot of people,
0: um, you know, they're it's an escape for a lot of people. They have, you know they need running, and you know use running as an escape, kind of like what you're saying,
2: yeah, and rightfully so, because you probably came into it trying to uh find something or escape from something and uh and uh, if you don't really try to meld those wounds then um then they're probably gonna catch catch up with you at some point and and for me. I mean, I got into running ultra, honestly, because I needed a place to go. So I didn't just start running hundreds because my friend Jack said he was gonna run a 100 miler. That was part of it, right? But uh, when I graduated from the academy in 2010, um, I mean, right before, I graduated in 2010 in in May, and in April, you know, I recognized that I had something wrong with me. There was a, a medical issue that was going to probably turn my life upside down and um and so i just didn't tell anybody and then i i lived with this quietly for the next few months until august of 2010 and uh my objective in life was to go be a pilot in the air force and to go and get it be a part of this this war right like that's what i was that was my life objective that was the only thing i was thinking about at the time was this is what I'm gonna do. My whole life had been dedicated to that exact specific intention. And when I found this medical situation, that was not gonna be the most, I knew that my life was probably gonna get turned upside down and that maybe I wasn't gonna get that chance. So when I finally realized, through the urging of a friend of mine to go to the doctor, because he told me that I was probably gonna either die or, um you know, well, that was really the only alternative, right? Like if I didn't tell anybody, eventually I was just gonna die. So um, he says, either you're gonna tell somebody or I'm gonna tell somebody. So you're going to the doc on on Friday. So that's what happened. Um, In August of 2010, I went to the doc and I told him, I was like, man, I got kind of a lump and uh, probably gonna need to talk to somebody about the situation and so on and so forth. And um, before you know it, here I was in some dude's office. getting scanned and all these things right well for the next year i had to go and battle my way back into pilot training and by battling my way back into pilot training i had some demons to take care of and running long distances was one of the cures to running for running those demons out of my life And by running those demons out of my life i don't think i ever really did i just kind of masked them you know and then before you know it it comes 2016 17 18 19 and there i am just running ultra all the time and at some point it comes to head and then uh, there you are and then uh, maybe that's how you win a win a hundred miler you're out there in the <laughs> middle of the traveler and uh you know i ran <laughs> ran the, that first traveler win in 2021 um i just got back from the deployment it's kind of like the theme i didn't even realize that was a the theme actually like deployment ultra deployment ultra yeah. <laughs> i got back in 2021 and at the um beginning of august and i was racing the traveler in october and And man, oh oh man, I just, I think everything just came to a head at that point. And as I was running that race, I just wanted to run those demons out of me. And that's why I ran so fast and so hard. And uh, because I had nothing to live for. Like, quite honestly, there wasn't anything else to live for. And so I thought the best thing to do would be just to run. And I was hoping that running hard was going to run all of that out. But what I realized was that's not really the way to handle those type of things. Because when I crossed the finish line, I never felt so low in my entire life. And uh, you can win an ultra, but that doesn't mean that you're going to find joy. That doesn't mean that you're going to find happiness. Because when I ran across that finish line, it was me and, um, and Thomas, who was the race director at the time. And it was just me and him. And I, I hadn't told anybody I ran that race. You know, really, nobody knew. It was just me. And I was the only guy there. I didn't have a crew. I just ran a solo. And um, when I ran across the finish line, it was like the loneliest, lowest Point of my entire life, and I remember going to sleep that night, and I slept for like two hours, and woke up, and I was in cold sweats. And the next day, I drove back, and I went to work, um, you know, on Monday, and um, it was a really low period of time. And I I recognized that we got to fix some stuff up in life, and probably get get life put back on the right track. Maybe work through some things. And Ultra is not a cure. Ultra can can enhance your life, but it's not the cure to life. So, um. So, you, so I spent the next year kind of taking a um, taking note with those things. I mean, I was so crazy. I ran the. Uh, I went to the Rio del Lago a month after that, thinking, you know, the, you know, we didn't run the, we didn't run all the uh, the demons out from the traveler. Let's just go run another hundred miler. That'll probably work. Which didn't, and it totally uh, <laughs> exacerbated the situation even worse. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of it's kind of how that all worked, and. Um, you know, that's kind of how I got into ultra
0: was ultra became a cathartic experience for me for sure for sure and so it, what, what do you got on the uh schedule for for twenty three
2: uh well, I wish I had like a lot of couch sitting and uh I wish I was gonna be hanging out uh, watching watching narcos with uh, with my girlfriend but uh <laughs> that is not <laughs> we're gonna do some couch sitting and uh and narcos watching but the next event that i've got coming up is the marathon de saab which is um in morocco and in the end of april so i'm going to morocco um as long as my my boss lets me go which he doesn't know yet so we'll find <laughs> out if he cares uh, <laughs> so i'm going to race the seven day uh marathon de Sables in morocco across the sierra and then um I'll find out tomorrow if Leadville worked out. So I've got my name in the hat for Leadville in August. It's a lottery. Uh, I plan to put my name in the hat for San Juan Solstice, I think, I'm pretty sure. Um, And then I am planning on potentially looking at the the Pinhoti 100 again in November. And that's kind of Leadville dependent. So if I get into Leadville, then probably Pinhoti. If I don't, then I'll probably go back to the Traveler. But I don't know. We'll figure that out.
0: Cool, cool, nice. Well, so we always ask our guests um, a couple of questions at the end: is what kind of gear do you use, and who do you recommend on the podcast? So <laughs> we'll start with the gear question.
2: Yes, you, uh, you guys are gonna be so blown away. Your your listeners are gonna think I'm uh, I'm I'm some sort of a uh, I don't know ridiculous, I guess. Uh so my favorite my favorite shorts, and I've been doing this for like twenty years now. I've been wearing Sophie Cheerleader shorts, you know. <laughs> uh black, large are my favorite color and size. Uh, they fit a little, a little bit better. Um you know, you can wear them uh under your clothes and you can just take your clothes off behind your car in a parking lot. People probably think i'm getting naked but i'm not i just take my uh take my uniform off throw on some morning shoes and the sophie's underneath and uh i can get a few miles in in between anything so i usually wear sophie's um i've raced in a lot of sophie's but um i also you know, i wear nikes too sometimes but um so that's my shorts i guess i'll caveat this with saying man I don't really believe in gear necessarily like gear is important, but my friend Dom Tatino is my crew guy. He's like my go-to crew pacer. My the guy who invokes a lot of ridiculous ideas in my head. Um, he's told me that gear is probably more important than I think it is. Um, but I'd, I'd say the only thing I really care about a lot is shoes. I, I'm pretty particular about my shoes and I'm pretty particular about shoes for people who are starting and starting running. My shoes are, I, 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 I switched through them, but I'm wearing uh, Brooks Adrenalines right now for road. They're my go-to road shoe. I alternate them with Brooks Ghost. And then I use Hoka Clifton 8s for recovery training and also some long runs. Those are my road shoes. My trail shoes, I've been racing in, in Brooks Cascadia's. And, my favorite trail racing shoe is definitely the solomon speed cross three and four however they don't make them anymore so i have a few extra pairs um That's and so i raced yeah they're my storage unit um <laughs> i i raced the rio del lago in the um speed cross fours and i raced the traveler this year in Cascadia's. and then i train occasionally with uh Hoka speed goats on trail. Um see my socks are Swiftwick and I I believe in socks as well. I don't really get blisters. I don't really have feet problems. So my my socks are Swiftwick and that's usually what I use. Almost actually actually that's only what I use for socks. So my gear, shoes, socks, Sophie shorts. That's pretty much all I care about. I have a I have a trucker hat that I use. pretty nice. Um <laughs> I have some some really nice water bottle that I bought for like 20 bucks that I keep in my hand. That works pretty good. Um, I occasionally use a Solomon running vest. Occasionally if I'm gonna go do some pretty austere work. Otherwise, I just use a water couple water bottles, handhelds, um, and that's it. I don't use poles. Um, I don't have anybody, anything against people who use poles, but for me, if I go run an ultra, I just want to rage. So no poles for me.
0: Nice nice what um sounds like you're you know very old school when it comes to ultra running like back in the day you know they just uh no shirt couple handhelds hat hat on backwards just rock.
2: that's me that's me
0: <laughs> i hate i hate wearing a shirt
2: i hate having clothes on there's a lot of clothes uh, i just want to go as, as minimal as possible I, I started watching guys man i watched ancon Capitia run Leadville in 2011. And I thought, man, how the heck that's how that guy runs fast. He's like, he's got nothing there. Right. So I thought, well, if you're going to run fast, might as well carry less with you. So I just started doing what Anton did as best I could, not that fast. Right. But he just ran in shoes, short shorts and a handheld. And I was like, that's it, man. So, um,
0: that's my go-to. Nice. Nice. So our second question we always ask guests is. um, who do you recommend to have on the podcast? Someone that's, you know, that you know, that has a, a cool story that would, you know, fit right along with our, our podcast. Doesn't necessarily have to be anyone who's a runner. It could be someone of any capacity that has a, a cool story. We just want to grow our network and, you know, just bring more to our listeners, our three listeners, <laughs> our our moms and our, my <laughs> wife.
2: <laughs> I told you, my I told you Christy's going to listen to this. Yeah. So, um <laughs> Uh, I mean, the guy that comes to my mind that would be, I really, and I think he, he would definitely say yes to, I think Bob Becker, um, if you can get a hold of Bob Becker, he he's a race director for the keys 100 and all those races, um, there's not a, not a cooler, more unique guy with such intimate perspective in life and, um, endurance than Bob Becker and humble beyond his years even though i think he's 77 if i'm not mistaken um that would be my number one recommendation is bob becker
0: awesome yeah if, we'll definitely have if, you're, to...
2: if you're not familiar with bob uh bob just recently um crawled up mount whitney to finish the ba- um badwater 135 this year so
0: oh okay okay yeah i i know exactly i um i know exactly who you're talking about i Remember watching him and cheering from afar.
2: Yeah, yeah, my my crew and I, we were up there at the time, and uh, we, we uh we didn't know where Bob was. We were like, "Where's Bob?" And uh there, there, all of a sudden, there was this wall, like on Forrest Gump. You know, at the end of for or that part of Forrest Gump where he's running across the desert, yeah. And there's all these people, and we're like, "Oh my God, there's Bob," and <laughs> Bob is. Literally, I've, I always said this, I said I would crawl across to cross the finish line. But I didn't actually know if I meant it or not. But there's Bob, literally on all fours doing what we call the four wheel drive, four wheel (laughs) drive, and up Mount Whitney. And I'm like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my entire life, ever. Whatever I just did today, pales immensely in comparison to what I'm watching happen right now. And, um, and, uh, unfortunately he didn't meet the time limit, right? So it's not like an official finish, but everyone, I think everyone is in agreement that that was the coolest thing that's ever happened in the sport of Badwater or in the race of Badwater. It was freaking awesome. So,
0: and, and thing that they that, you know, that they aired it live. And so everybody could see it It was, Mm. you know, super cool too. Cause I mean, we're all watching it and cheering at least I was. I'm all.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 don't know how he did it, but um, you know, if you can, if you can, I got one more. If you can get this guy, um, this guy's a guy that changed my life. Uh, Marshall Ehrlich um, he has no idea who I am, you know, but uh, that's okay. I know who he is, and uh, Marshall, when I went to go do the Keys 100, he he was there and he had a book signing. He had a book and he just run across America and i had no idea that people run across america at the time i didn't even know that anyone did this stuff right so i just got this book and i was like that's pretty cool and this guy signs my book and says and, and he says to me he's like just keep running and i'm like okay and then, <laughs> that next day that's what i did i just kept running and uh but i read his book and um and then subsequently and I got to meet him a couple of times in different races, but again, he doesn't know who I am, but, but um, he had a profound impact in my life. And I think that if you can get him to talk right and get him to tell his story and then tell it the way it needs to be told, he's too humble. His story is too remarkable not to be heard. That is a guy that could inspire the world uh, more than what he, what he already has, in my opinion.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, Chaz, thank, thanks so much for coming on. I feel like we just scratched the surface with some of your stories and we may have to have <laughs> you back on to to go over some, some more of your ultras. But thanks so much for coming on. You yeah, guys are super welcome. It was a pleasure. Well, maybe we'll see you out at one of the races sometime. <laughs>
2: I'll be there. If you ever need a crew, I love crew more than I love racing. So just let me know if you ever need a crew chief pacer, snack <laughs> guy.
0: Don't uh, say that. We'll, we'll be calling you up. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. It would be a reason not to race. I appreciate yeah. it. Thanks again. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Thank you for listening. This podcast has been produced and edited by Backbeat Sound. Come and find us on Instagram at backbeatsound1776 or email us at backbeatsound1776 at gmail.com.